It's, it's amazing to be here and with you guys in the room. Uh, first time I've done this for a while with people here. It's lovely. And, and, and to, for those of you at home as well, glad that you, these guys are reminding me that there's real people behind that camera. And for you, if you're watching at home today, my hope and my prayer would be that you're better looking than this lot. Because <laughs> if you could see what I'm seeing, no, ser- no seriously, you are beautiful in every way. Um, as I'm sure you are. So just over a week ago, um, I was out on the soup run with the team and we met this loving, lovely, smiley, chatty guy. And um, he was a musical person, but it became clear that he was a bit hard of hearing. And so I eventually sort of offered if, if he would like me to pray for him. And at that moment, the softness in his smile just faded. And he talked to me about how religion for him was about control and how his life had been derailed years ago, um, by a health condition that he felt was the result of mistakes that the doctors had made. And so for him, trust was a massive issue. And we talked and I listened and I tried to sympathise, but then when I brought prayer back up again, um, this, this mistrust just surrounded him again, like brambles. And I don't know if you've ever had a conversation like that. Um, sadly, I can think of many that I've had, because we live in a world that is quite short on trust sure on hope because we've all been let down at different points by people, by, by, by leaders, by our heroes, even by those that we love. So who ultimately can we place our hopes in? Who ultimately can we trust? And I know that's a bit of a Sunday school question, um, but it's, it's not a trick question. Who can we trust? Let's hear it. Jesus, that's right. Even if you're new here, um, hopefully, or maybe you guessed the answer to that one. Last week, Dave um, focused on our vision emphasis this year, this phrase, living hope. And he explored um, how, uh, what our living hope is. And so this week, we're going we're to move on from that and we're going to look at who, this idea that Jesus is our living hope. Uh, now, technically, you won't find Jesus actually described that way in, 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 the, in most Bible translations. It's not one of the, like, the Jesus names that we have in the Bible, like the Son of Man, Emmanuel, or the Prince of Peace. Um, the closest we get to the words living hope is in 1 Timothy. Jesus is described as our hope. Um, but today, we're going to look at the, the passage that Dave looked at last week in 1 Peter, um, which was written by by Jesus' close friend, Peter, to Christians who were experiencing challenging times, a bit like us. Um, And we're going to look at it and see how Jesus just comes out of this passage. Um, In chapter um, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth, a new birth, into a living hope um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, just a mini recap what Dave explained last week. This living hope that Peter describes here is something that is it's anchored in the past. Um, it's about the future, And it's also for the present. And today what we're going to do is kind of retrace Dave's steps, looking at the role that Jesus has in giving us and embodying this living hope. So in the past, we're going to look at what Jesus has done. In the future, what is he going to do? 
And right now, what will he do? And uh, these questions, these three questions, if you're ever in a place where you're sort of bereft of hope, um, so for example, if you're a Spurs fan right now, <laughs> no, but see, if you're ever in a place where you're low on hope, you know, we can, we, we can ask ourselves in those situations circumstantial questions, can't we? Like, when am I going to get my vaccine? Is my summer holiday that I've booked going to happen? When am I going to go back to work? And especially when these questions don't have answers, um, they don't really help us. However, I want to suggest these questions about Jesus are more helpful because they lead us towards hope. For example, the question, what has Jesus done? Well, Jesus has done loads of things, but Peter highlights something specific in this passage. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. What has Jesus done in this picture? He has risen. He has risen. Peter then points on to the promise that lies ahead of us in the future of salvation. He talks about how at the end of this age, the salvation that's ready to be revealed into an imperishable inheritance. So what, what, what will Jesus do in this picture? Well, the point that I want to highlight here is that Jesus foretold um, that he was going to be instrumental in this promise. He will be at the heart of it. If, if you read Matthew uh, 24 and 25, for example, we haven't got time to go through it all, but he said that one day he is going to return. And, and at the end of this age, when he does that, there will be a resurrection of the dead. There will be, uh, he'll bring justice to the world through this great day of judgment. And after that, God's people will enter with Jesus into a new age where there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And we'll go there with new resurrection bodies. This is the future that we, that we hope for when sickness and suffering and death and the devil will be no more. We'll be raised up like Jesus. And it's Jesus who's going to lead us into that future. Writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and really talking specifically about the end times, the, the writer Paul, he ties these two resurrection events together, past um, and future, um, emphasising Jesus as he does it. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then he continues, So in Christ, all will be made alive. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead 2,000 years ago, it was the first fruits, like a sneak preview of Jesus' promise to resurrect his people for life in the new age with him. Now, I don't know about you, but this isn't something that I think about like, all the time or maybe even every day. I mean, one of those events happened 2,000 years ago, and one of them is going to happen at some point in the future. Nobody knows quite when. And they aren't immediately or obviously relevant to the present, are they? It begs the question, why did Peter start this letter in this way? He knew they were having a rough time. So why didn't he start by saying, for example, you know, oh, hi, I know it's been really difficult for you and I wanted to let you know that I'm, I'm thinking of you. I mean, he gets onto that later, but wouldn't that be the place to start? And indeed, you might be thinking, you know, why, why are we focusing on, on this in our context? How does what has happened 2,000 years ago and what's going to happen at some point in the future answer the questions that we have today? Questions like, is my sick friend actually going to be all right? Can my wife handle the stress of being a teacher during this pandemic? Are we as a church going to be all right? Are we going to get through this? Can I afford to hope for those things right now? But I think Peter is trying to show us that these two events, past and future, 
They're like the wall in front of us and the wall behind us that hold up the ceiling above us. Now, I'm guessing most of us have got a ceiling above us at the moment. We all have in here, haven't we? There's a ceiling. And so far, I'm assuming that none of us have spent the last few minutes worrying about whether the ceiling is going to fall down on our heads. And hopefully you haven't been doing that at home. No, we live with a confident assurance, a living hope that it's going to stay where it is because of what we know. We know that ceiling is, it's got something solid there and it's got something solid there that it sits on, that's holding it up. And so it's like Peter is zooming out beyond all of the questions that we've got here and now. And he's drawing our attention to this big picture. The wall behind you, Jesus has risen. The wall in front of you, he will raise all of us up who follow him in the future. And between these two events, we can live now with a living hope. But like the room that you might be sat in at home at the moment, if you knock either of those walls down, then you're in trouble. If Jesus wasn't raised um, back then, then what confidence can we have that he will come again in the future? And if he isn't coming back in the future, then why would we have a hope of us being raised with him? And if he hasn't got that plan ahead of us, what does it even mean when we say we're following Jesus? Like, where to? Do you see what I mean? Like, again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul, a little bit earlier, he kind of says something similar to this, but in a slightly more blunt fashion. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. You might be saying this guy's preaching is useless anyway. But, but our preaching is useless and so is your faith. But conversely, if the walls are real, if Jesus was raised, if he is returning, then it puts everything in perspective in our present and the ceiling stays where it is. So a question really that I've got for you is, how often do you consciously think about this? How often do you consciously put your present life and circumstances within this eternal perspective? How solid are these walls for you? I know um, my hunch is that for many of us as Christians, um, and especially maybe the wall behind us of what Jesus has done is a bit more robust than the one in front. We're, ho- we're happy thinking and talking about you know, Jesus, what he's done, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, but we're perhaps a little bit less comfortable talking and thinking about what's going to happen when we die. Because we don't want to be that cliche Christian who's obsessed about the end times all the time and, you know, the image of the guy with the sandwich board going around saying, like, the end is nigh and constantly challenging people with this question, you know, are you going to go to heaven or hell and forgetting to tell the world that Jesus actually loved them in the process But the risk is that we push so far away from that extreme that we end up living our lives without much thought of eternity. And it it comes across perhaps sometimes in the way we share our faith. We're happy talking about what Jesus did and less forthcoming about this reality that Jesus has a plan for our destiny. But we have to choose whether we want to embrace that or not be part of it. And I think another reason why perhaps we don't think and talk about these things as much as we could is because it, you know, it can feel a bit heady, abstract and conceptual. But you know, getting back to Peter, the guy who, who wrote this, um, this stuff wasn't abstract to him, it was real. It was personal. He knew Jesus. He had been with Jesus. And he had been actually, if not the most, one of Jesus' most fearless and committed followers but when Peter saw Jesus humiliated and crucified, 
His ceiling came down. His hope collapsed. Within days, he'd, he'd gone back to his old life of being a fisherman until in one of the most beautiful moments in the Gospels in John 21, Peter encountered the risen Jesus one morning on a beach. And in that moment, his, his life was transformed. It wasn't transformed by a theory or like a little diagram like the one I've tried to do, but a person. Jesus, for Peter, was hope on legs. And Peter's experience was not the only one. The other disciples, people like Mary, his friends, uh, Thomas, many others. It says in Acts chapter 1, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And through these encounters, they experienced something, this new living hope coming alive inside of themselves. That one day Jesus would do for them what they had seen him do in his own life. It was an experience so profound and it, it was so transformational that Peter quite rightly described it as being given new birth into a living hope, born again. And this is something that Peter is applying not just to himself, but to us too. He said, you have been given this. Let's uh, move on to look at verses eight and nine. And we see how this affects us. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is Jesus doing right now in this picture? Well, even though we don't see him, it says, even though Jesus isn't you know, physically walking around like he did 2,000 years ago, we can still know him. We can still love him, believe him, and have a very, very real sense that he's actually with us. Peter also talks about how the salvation um, is now of, uh, happening to us. Um, back in verse 3, I think it was, he talked about our salvation as a future event. But now, he says, you are currently receiving it as you relate to Jesus. It began when you called on his name and it continues, you are already receiving, he says, the end result of your faith, your salvation. So what is Jesus doing right now? Well, to bring that picture back, um, just as he, he, he was and just as, just, as he, just as he has and just as he will save us and raise us up, he is also doing those things to us now. He is raising us up. And this has a power to change our lives. You know, sadly, I think for so many people in the world, their idea of, of faith and, and God never really gets beyond this kind of vague hope that hopefully there's a, a God up there who's basically good and hopefully there's something nice or at least not bad that happens to us after we die. And anything more kind of solid or detailed than that, they, they kind of write it off as like, oh, that's not really, that's not realistic, that's not attainable. It's wishful thinking. But I want to say, especially if you're watching or if you're here, if you're kind of exploring faith, trying to figure out what you believe about God, push beyond that. There is more than just that way of seeing it. We can experience a living hope that's real. And the way to it is through a person. It's through a relationship. It's through Jesus, our living hope. It's through meeting and knowing him, just like Peter did, just like the disciples did. And we can do that 
um, even though he isn't walking around, because, because even though we don't see him, as Peter says, we have access to him, particularly um, through the Bible, through, and particularly through the stories of his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now we have the Holy Spirit to guide us in that journey. And so if that's you, um, I would encourage you to, to read one of the Gospels. Um, it occurred to me this morning, Matthew's Gospel is 28 chapters. It's two weeks to Easter. If you read two chapters a day, that's right, isn't it? You'll, you'll finish it by Easter Sunday. Um, why don't you do that? Um, and I would encourage you to do it with somebody else as well. Ask a Christian, say, I want to read this. Can you, can you help me understand it? Let's read it together. If you don't know a Christian, at the end of the service, go to our Connect link and we'll, we'll link you in. We'll find somebody to do you this with. I've just created an administrative task there, but we will do it. We'd be delighted to do it. This is an invitation, not just to read a book, but to get to know God, an invitation into a living hope that though we don't see him, we can know that he's with us. When crisis hits us, when our longings are delayed, when our prayers are unanswered, though we don't see him, though we might be anxious, fearful, isolated, though we don't see him, we have a living hope of a destiny with Jesus and also life in his presence right now. I just want to finish by telling a story that, this is an amazing story, I think. Two weeks ago, it happened to some guys in the church. Um, a friend of ours, Rick, who many of you know, was gardening in, and, and he suffered a heart attack. And his wife, Jane, who works for the emergency services response team, that's her job, she just went initially into work mode, she said, and so she called the ambulance. But shortly after they arrived, Rick had stopped breathing. And she said, I went at that point into freaked out wife mode. On my knees, this is her words, by Rick's head, I leant down to approximately an inch from his face and screamed at the top of my voice, breathe. This action shocked me. And on hearing my own voice, I instantly thought, what are you doing? That was enough to flick another switch and think, do something that works. Do something that works. What works? Prayer works. So I found myself in faith mode. She quickly text, sent a text to her small group and her family, pray for Rick now. Continuing in her words, he was still not breathing. The paramedic next to me leant across and holding his wrist said, no pulse. Then they shocked Rick and the defibrillator announced no rhythm, commenced CPR. And the paramedic began chest compressions. It was at this point I remember thinking, he's not breathing, he has no pulse and his heart is doing nothing. Do something that works. I put my hand on his head and my other hand on his heart and I prayed, God help us, heal this heart and make him breathe. My mind then went blank, so I started to pray in tongues out loud. After about 10 to 20 seconds, I looked up to see the crew member opposite me using the mouth-to-mouth -mouth equipment staring at me and I thought, I don't care. I just need to do something that works. As she was staring at me, her hand slipped off the bag part of the equipment and I saw the bag move in and out on its own. I shouted, is he breathing? They immediately stopped. The paramedic checked and said, I have a strong pulse. And we began to see Rick's chest rise and fall and I shouted, Richard, and his eyes flickered and on the second shout, they opened. Once stable, um, they, they rushed Rick into hospital for surgery and I think it was the following day he came back home. His recovery has been nothing short of miraculous. Brilliant. Praise the Lord. 
In fact, I think, um, I think it was about two days later I got a surprise. Rick texted me to ask how I was doing because he'd heard that I'd been a bit poorly. That's how well he was. In that moment of crisis, Jesus was at work. He was raising up living hope in Jane. Do something that works, Jane. Pray. Use the authority that I've given you. Even though it was an experience that reminded us that we live between these walls, that the bodies that we live in are frail, that we still long for the day when Jesus will raise us with new bodies for eternity, it was an experience that showed the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us today. And so we can live lives and pray prayers, not with our fingers crossed, just sort of hoping, but knowing and expecting that they will work because Jesus is our living hope.